program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh my god you will not believe this amazing lineup we have this evening we got three incredible guests coming through tonight and one of them is here for the very very first time so check out this lineup we have our good sister Emily Wessel returning. Emily is a mental health counselor in Southern California, but she's lived across the country in states such as Ohio and Washington DC as one. So as a former DMV native, I wanted to talk to her about the issue of DC statehood. That's right, Washington DC is fighting for statehood so that they can have some representation in Congress. And the issues have been long fought and are going to likely continue into this next Congress that we're in right now. Uh, DC statehood is a very, very important issue in terms of the Democrats getting their agenda through. So Emily Wessel is gonna be talking to us a little bit about that this evening. We also have the incredible, incomparable Tamika Michelle coming back this evening. Tamika Michelle is an educator, administrator. She's also a life coach and an author. And she has this amazing project out there called The Restored Manual, A Guide to Healing. Oh my God, you know we need some of that. So I am very excited to hear what Tamika Michelle has been up to with the Restored Manual. And it is my honor, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome this uh, next guest uh, coming through the school tonight. Uh, he's also out of Washington, D.C. This good brother is one half of a group called The Crossroads, which he is a, a member and founding member of with uh, legendary R&B singer Raheem Devon, uh, Wes Felton, MC, poet, actor, writer, lyricist. Uh, this good brother does it all. Wes Felton is joining us this evening. He's going to be talking to us about his music career, his philosophies and social consciousness and his lyrics and whatnot. He has a brand new project out there called The Eternal Equinox, available on Bandcamp. Oh my God. Wes Felton is on Psychotic Bum School. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bum School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show with Tamika Michelle after this. This is your girl, Tamika Michelle, and you are listening to Psychotic Bum School with the phenomenal host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Niger women got the melanin dripping L-O-N-D-O-N city girl living in the back looking like fire chili pepper you rub a girl tougher than imperial leather he was getting bitter while she was getting better diamonds are forever miss 
Sierra Leone looking like a gem Works hard in the week, party on the weekend Know you wanna live with no one watching how you spend Got a thing for the finer things and the finer men <laughs> Miss Tanzania, she a do or die Says she wanna know more about the Sukuma tribe We hit the zoo, once wasn't enough Got an ocean full of knowledge, you could scuba dive Miss Ethiopia can play so jazzy They sit you down to school, you want Selassie Tell them you're not in without a woman, no Woman to woman, I just wanna see you glow Tell them what's up Repping for your country, sun kissing your brown skin, looking like money. Says she focusing on being an accountant. When you have beauty and brains, they find it astounding. Why she been getting it on her own, nigga? Self-made, ain't nobody doing gold, nigga. Now, Miss India always speaks with her chest. Got respect from her people, cause she leads them the best. Hmm, real life queen in the flesh. Know the crown get heavy, still the bees on your head. Brooklyn ladies know you hustle on the daily Innovative just like Donna Summer in the 80s Your time is seeing you glow now Intelligence and elegance, show them how Miss Jamaica understand food for the soul She get up in the kitchen or she throw down Ain't nothing without a woman, no Woman to woman, I just wanna see you glow Tell them what's up Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and I am very excited to welcome back this next guest. It's been a minute since she's been on the show, but since that time, she's been a very, very busy individual. She works in the field of education. She's also a life coach, and you can add author to that resume. She has a new project out there now called The Restored Manual, A Guide to Healing, and Lord knows we need plenty of that, and I want to hear all about it. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Miss Tamika Michelle. Miss Michelle. Hello, 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 everyone. Thank What's you, my brother in Rome. <laughs> it's been a few minutes. I'm looking at my watch. It's been a few minutes on the second hand. How in the world have you been? Man, I have been great. You know, 2020 collectively has been a challenge, but I believe that it was an opportunity for a lot of us to slow down in order for yep. us to speed up. So if we really took advantage of that time, I know myself as well as other people really have um, progressed in this last season season of just turmoil, you know, which is why I created this project because there was so much that happened since the time that we last talked, just yeah. so many things have happened. And I know we'll probably dive into some of that. We will. We will. Because the pandemic hit. I mean, it started in 2020, you know, over the weekend, the legendary late great Kobe Bryant was inducted into the Hall of Fame by his wonderful widow, Vanessa. And uh, that was the start of it, Tamika, for me. Yes. When Kobe's helicopter went down with his baby girl, Gianna, that was the start of what was to come. So 
what can you tell us about the inception of this project and uh, how did you get started on it? What was the catalyst? Absolutely. So like you, you know, that actually was one of the things because I feel like that was the first time in a long time that as not only a country, but as a world, because Kobe was so huge all over the world to so many people, yeah. um, we grieved collectively. But mm -hmm. a lot of us didn't know what to do with that grieving. We didn't know where to put that pain. We, you know, there a lot of times those things are not talked about unless, you know, you go see a traditional uh, mental health therapist or things like that. And, you know, we know in the black and the brown communities, those things are, are still taboo, very taboo. So mm -hmm. I just started to think think um, people need restoration people really like really really restoration and that is the guide to healing so from um, the death of Kobe and then it, it just was one thing after the another it was the pandemic and then I um, mean you know Southern California we had the fires and so we had like oh, yeah. so many things just over and over and over it, and then we had the Black Lives Matter movement so it was you know, with the death of um, George Floyd. So it was mm -hmm. just one thing. It was like, we could not, literally could not breathe. We were just, could not come up for air. Right. So I started to think the process of uh, restoration and the definition of restored is to bring back to its original state. And I really feel like that's what happened to a lot of us. We found out who we were, but we didn't know what to do with that because we saw ourselves in those moments of isolation. We saw our families and our friends in those moments of isolation. So we went back to who we were originally were before the busyness, before the, you know, the, I got on the go, on the go, 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 but now what? Now what? So I felt a responsibility to, to help people with that now what period, like with that space of now what do I do that I realize? no, actually I am pretty dope. Actually, I am amazing. Actually, that trauma that I never dealt with as a child mm -hmm. still haunts me, but I, I just push it under the rug. I push it under the rug. You know, in so many homes, there's these huge rugs full, full of trash that mm -hmm. is just underneath and I feel like 2020 was like the the cleaner that just pulled the rug and then everyone had to see themselves Ooh. oh wow well talk to us about that um and I mean because you must have sent something there 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 had to be something I mean something was going to break something was going to have to give because it like you said it was just layered trauma one thing after another from Kobe Bryant fires, the pandemic, school closures. I mean, can we talk about yeah. that as a matter of, you know, <laughs> you know, students and children and family needing healings just on that uh, economy totally shut down. Uh, George Floyd, as you said, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, it goes on and on. And yes. then we're still dealing with our own stuff, as you said, that had been long pushed under the rug and now it's laid bare. So uh i'm a, just talk to us tamika michelle you the the, the this manual <laughs> is needed we need this manual so talk to us about some of that layered trauma and the the depth and the degree to which people have had to climb up out of that abyss and how does your book help us to do that absolutely so what a lot of people don't um understand or realize or talk about is secondary trauma is very real so when you see someone killed right in front of you you know and it was the the death of George Floyd we were just 
not even recovering, but we were dealing with running with the mod, right? So me and my children, we mm -hmm. went out and we ran a mile in solidarity to our brother Ahmad, right? And then we, and then we turn on, and but and and then in that that moment, we're all in the house, so we're in the house. And what ha what I know for sure, because although I work for the educational um, department, I am a behavioral specialist, so I where I see the kids day to day, a lot of parents did not see their children. So they're dealing with all this stuff. And then they're at home with their children. And it's triggering not only their childhood, but now they're really getting to know who their children are, who their husband is, who their wife is, who their boyfriend, who their girlfriend is. And so because we substitute healing with busy. So instead mm. of us sitting down and heal, we just add a, add the, put the kids in sports, put the, you know, go to this event go to the concert do all these we do all these things when in reality what we needed to do was heal anytime someone has a serious injury we know a couple of things or a serious illness a couple of things happen they go to the hospital and then if it's really serious or contagious they have to go to icu and so they have to be isolated icu it's only them in that room and they're very isolated because they don't want whatever they're dealing with to spread to other people or they don't want other people to be able to come in there and make them sicker because they, they need that healing process. So that's what 2020 was for us. It was an isolation period. So what happened in that moment, people began to remember because they were still. People began to talk. Family members began to, kids uh, began to tell uh, parents began to learn their kids because they were talking to one another. They were eating together. They were doing all these things, which is the way families are designed to be. But because we don't want to deal with it, we just, you know, instead of that healing process, we just got busy. So what I set back and, and, and even in my own home, if I could be honest, you know, those things happen for us as well. And I believe that nothing happens to you, but everything happens for you. So this was an opportunity for us to heal, for us to reset. So that's actually the first kind of thought of this. It's a six week manual that I created and it's, it's, um, it was created to be done almost like a workbook. Uh, my children, uh, people that have already seen it, they're like, wow, this needs to be on the college level. This needs to be something that's in every home that we work through in Bible studies and study groups and different things like that. Mm. So the first thing is the reset. So I wanted people to really understand that in order for us to restore and heal, we have to reset. So you have to hit a hard reset on your programming. We were all programmed to believe a certain thing. We were programmed to live a certain way. And if you hit reset, you could realize what is your impact on this world? What, who do you, I believe that when we reset, we realize our trauma, our dysfunction, even our love and our joy, it doesn't only affect us, but it affects the people above us the people beneath us and the people on the side of us. So that's the first thing that I walk my readers through is for them to look introspectively on their behavior, their actions, good and bad. Mm -hmm. How is it affecting the people around you? Please distinguish for us the value of having something to do while you're healing from trauma versus avoiding confronting the need to set some new boundaries and to, to, to do that reset? Is there a way to go overboard, overcompensate by staying too busy at the cost of not addressing the core needs? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? 
Absolutely. And I can talk to you from a very personal, very personal experience. So, oh, it it had to be maybe 10 years ago now, 11 years, maybe Um, I I refuse to heal because, you know, healing costs something. And and when you're in the healing process, sometimes there's um, things get smelly metaphorically, right? Things get hard, things get yucky. So a lot of times we just feel like, let me just keep the bandaid on, right? But when you rip that bandaid off, that's when it truly starts to air out. But when an open wound is there, it doesn't smell good. It doesn't look good. There's things oozing out, right? So I chose for many years of my life to keep the bandaid on. And what I did is I overcompensated. I just, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to my kids, all my kids are going to be in sports, all the, like all these things. I just did not want to deal with who I was and the things that I went through in life. And the result of that is tragic. The result of that is severe. So what happened to me at 630 um, a.m. October 23rd, I fell over and had a massive stroke in front of, in front of my four-year-old daughter at the time. Mm. And that's because it, it's trapped in your DNA. It is trapped in your, your uh, bones and your uh, muscle, um, all of that. So my body said, you're going to deal with this or not, right? So there, you're going to deal with this one way or other. So I literally shut down and I had, I had to sit down and I had to heal. And when I laid in that hospital room for two weeks, Rome, unable to talk, unable to walk, completely paralyzed. What I did have is the activity of my mind and things that I never dealt with, the molestation, the child abuse, the isolation, the, all those things that I was in a very toxic relationship, but I just, that I used as a cover because yeah, all these things, but look at, I got this nice house. I got this, you know, all those things ruminated in my head. And I, I began to journal. That's when I first started my journaling process. And I said, I had to get this stuff up because if you're, if you're full, 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 full with the trauma, full with the memories, full with the, you know, on top of, like you said, we have all of that inside of us. I want everybody to really imagine a cup, like a a big cup, maybe 30 ounce cup, right? Mm -hmm. And it's already at the 20 mark. And then you add George Floyd and then Mm -hmm. you add you know, uh, Trump, and then you add, you know, all these things, the the babies that are locked up in cages, and then you add coronavirus, and then you add some of our famous, you know, a lot of our kids, um, they lost King Von, who who was a music, Mm -hmm. they lost all these people in the process, you're going to overflow. So maybe the overflow isn't a stroke, but maybe it's you cussing out somebody as you drive in on the freeway. Maybe it's you going upside your wife or your husband's head. Maybe it's yelling at your kids. Maybe it's just isolating and, and mindlessly scrolling on Instagram because you just figure, well, I'll just, you know, do it this way. So there's, you're going to overflow and it's going to manifest. So if you want to live healed, you got to deal with it. You got to remove that bandage and just let things air out. And it's not easy. It's Mm -hmm. not pretty, but it is Mm -hmm. so worth it. Yeah. It's interesting. You started with forgiveness. Uh, Can you talk to us about what makes that such an important first step before you get to the other steps of the healing? Man, forgiveness is imperative. And, And I... 
honestly, I'm an advocate for self-forgiveness. So it starts with yourself because if you're unable to forgive yourself, it is very difficult to forgive anyone else around you. So I, so forgiveness, once you learn that we're all flawed, right? We're all flawed human beings. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. There's things that people are going to do. Um, honestly, sometimes they don't even realize that they do to you. And if you just learn to, now here's the thing about forgiveness. And, and this is where I feel like the quote unquote church has done a poor job of teaching, right? Um, just because you forgive someone does not mean that you have to be in relationship with them. But you do have to forgive in order for your own health, right? Because if you hold that, it's like literally the doctor saying you have cancer in your right leg and you like, I don't care. It's my leg. I want it. I don't care if it looks like that, whatever. And the doctor's like, okay, but if we cut that cancer out, you will be healthy. You will live. You will be able to survive. But you like, nope, nope. I don't care. I didn't have this for this many years. I don't, you know, right. And that's what we do. So we, that's what unforgiveness is, us holding on to that stuff. A lot of people, it becomes our identity. Mm. That unforgiveness becomes your identity because you people wear their badge of honor of, I was cheated on, I was left, I was molested, I was, but you don't have to. This is a great analogy. I was talking with a client about it yesterday. We all have baggage, every single human being on this planet unforgiveness is like carrying that baggage and you have the opportunity to unpack it. You can, like you could take it out because guess what? A lot of times it does not belong to you. Those people put that in your bag. It doesn't belong to you, but you rather just carry it around instead of saying, you know what? Let me open up this dang luggage and take that out, take that out, take that out. This don't belong to me. And then your journey in life becomes so much lighter. Once we start with forgiveness and we can start to analyze and accept, uh, well, I don't want to give it away. I don't, I don't know what the next step is in your book, but what, what comes after forgiveness? And uh, maybe you can give us give it to us in a couple of clusters before we let you go. What, what's the next steps after self-forgiveness? Yeah. So after, you know, you do that self-forgiveness, that forgiveness work, then you want to go into what I, I call the refocus. So this is where you're able to just kind of refocus and, and start to implement um, those affirmations. You know, we get taught, do the affirmation, say the prayer. But when you are toxic, when you have all this toxicity inside of you, no one tells a person to go to rehab until they're completely healthy and healed and they're strong enough to start the, the rehab. So now we can go to rehab. Now we could start the affirmations. Now we could start to rebuild our life and we can start seeing ourselves in that higher light which in, in all, all doing all of that, you're doing your mirror work. So you're looking yourself in the mirror. You're a lot of people, Rome. It is so surprising that I was, I can't give a percentage, but a high percentage of people are unable to look themselves in the mirror because they don't know themselves. So they're able, I, I teach my readers and my clients, look yourself in the mirror. Who are you? So we're able to refocus on who we truly are. We're not what the media says that we are. We're not, you know, animals. I was, I was looking, I rarely, rarely, rarely look at the news, but I sat down um, the, a couple of nights really to do a case study and watch the news. And they did one story about Hispanics um, and the border and the wall and all that crap, right? And then every story, the, the next seven stories were Hispanic man kills his wife, Hispanic girl, da, 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 right? Like every story was painting a picture 
of negativity. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're unable to look at ourselves because we believe those narratives. So I teach my writers to start to rewrite. Now, once you've forgiven, you've set those healthy boundaries, you've do- you're doing the mirror work, let's start rewriting. Because guess what? We hold the pen. As long as you hold the pen, you write your story. Mm-hmm. You write, I am the, I am the, um, product of teen parents. My parents were 16 and 15 when they had me. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the eighties with the crack um, epidemic. Everything mm-hmm. about my story says that I should be what they portray on the news, on mass media, but mm-hmm. I have always held the pen in my hand and I decide to write the story. And that's what I want to teach young men and women. You write the story. You can, and, and when I say young, I don't care if you're seven or if you're 70, mm. you get to choose how you leave this planet. You get to choose on how, on living a life truly healed, elevated and restored. Can you talk to us about pessimism? Cause what happens, cause I reached out to you uh, right when the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial was was coming out. And I remember seeing online on Twitter, Tamika, that, okay, y'all, y'all, y'all know you can't get excited about this. You do know that, right? Yeah, he, they found him guilty, but, you know, we still in America. You, you, you don't have time to be excited. We still got to fight. And y'all stupid if y'all think this is over. We can't even celebrate good news because Man. we're inundated with pessimism. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? inundated with pessimism and you know it's it's done to us right because right when we were celebrating then we saw the news of the young black girl that was killed by the police so it's 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 set up you know it's systematic however you're I need somebody that's listening to write this down and if you didn't hear anything I heard I said please take this to heart your mind is the soil by which everything grows. And if you choose to Mm. live a life of positivity, of gratitude, of optimism, like, you know what? Yep, but one day, you know, and I'm not saying for us to be ignorant and, oh, we shall overcome. Our songs have changed, right? We used to sing, we shall overcome. Now we on that Kendrick, we gonna be all right, right? So we got it, we have to make sure that we're speaking life. That's the other thing I have in the book. I, I have uh, journal pages where you speak life, you create affirmations, you mm. say what your life is going to be. You, uh, there's a, a page of worthiness. A lot of people, the reason why that pessimistic uh, mindset is there because people don't think that they're worthy. Mm. 500 plus years, we've been told that we're not worthy. We've been told that we don't deserve anything. When we got our freedom, then here comes Jim Crow. And then after Jim Crow, here comes this law and and prison reform, all these things, right? Mm -hmm. So I get it. I get it. And I validate that. However, those that rose above the Martin Luther Kings, the Malcolm X's, the Thurgood Marshalls, the Rosa Parks, it's because there was something in their mind. Their wrote the, what they were growing in their mind was hope, was faith, was peace. So I want to just encourage you guys to encourage the listeners. Your mind is the soil by which everything grows. Every day I get up and I say what I'm grateful for. And I believe that there's going to be something that happens that's going to turn out good. That's going to, ha- you know, yes, I'm not ignorant to what's going on around me however i choose to focus on the positive yes that is so powerful oh my god the restored manual ladies and gentlemen uh we need this one because you know think about it i mean you know we we're we're almost out of time but just think about it we live in a a a society where african-americans are not the majority okay Uh but the way the media portrays it is like if it bleeds 
it leads, especially if it's yeah. black. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's black. So you mean to tell me that there aren't other people getting shot and you know killed? How do? Why are we only hearing about us? And why are right. we seeing us? We don't. I mean, we're way outnumbered. But so it's a game that they're playing on us. And so, like you said, we have to be vigilant about resisting that tendency to constantly parade out trauma in front of us so that it does not become a part of our DNA, right? Yes. I mean, that's the fight. So thank you for saying this. Thank you for writing this book. I just had to get that piece in. I, you know, it, it upsets me, Tamika. It really does because I, I, I see what it does to us. I see what it does to me. It's like, yeah. I mean, this is not okay. And I know that this is being, uh, it, it's, 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 it's intentional to make sure uh -huh. we stay and remain in a state of pessimism, hopelessness, and we have to push back against it. And I'm really happy to see that you're giving us the tools in which to do that. What's the best way for people to find this book, find you, and to follow your work? Tamika Michelle. Yes. So if you go over to www.tuesdaywithtamika.com, you can find all things Tamika Michelle. You could find all my works. Um, I also have a 21-day gratitude journal because I believe gratitude is the key to success. And we know that in 21 days, you can rewrite, start to rewrite and um, your, your brain and the neural pathways. Um, and then I also have a, a Becoming Her um, ebook. Uh, merch. There's all kind of good stuff wow. on there. So if you go to www.tuesdaywithtamika.com, you could find that. Um, and then follow me, follow me on Instagram. I'm always bucking against the system. I'm always, you know, I'm one of those ones that I'm providing joy. I know that Absolutely. my lane is inspiration and empower. So I'm going to live that into the last breath of my life. So Instagram at Tamika Thomas, Facebook, Tamika Thomas, follow me there. And I promise you, I'll follow you back. <laughs> Oh, follow me and I'll follow you back. It gets no better than that. Tamika Michelle, you are a joy. Thank you so much for doing this. The Restored Manual is exactly what we need during this day and age. Will you come back again and join us sometime on Psychotic Moms? You know I will. Just give me that call, bro. <laughs> hey. Keep your phone ready. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That's Tamika Michelle, the Restored Manual. Get yours today. All right, stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back after this. This is Joy Suddeth, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. True as you and me, there's a mayor on every block, singing the dramatics and playing with ready rock. Usually it seemed like he's waiting to catch a drop. Clinging to his habits, he's saving you from a spot Round the wave work, jewels in the crown Hit the paid dirt, love is love, you in good hands Dennis Haysburg, openly protected by who you be neck and neck with See you looking over like, look at what they done made work Circle in the block, I know you call before you start Put your phone down, Pierre Moss to the hard Word the whole of that, love it or leave it, we afforded that 20 D batteries, count them wrong, bought them back <laughs> Attracted to what you see on the screen But then thinking you could recast it to keep what you need Keep it cold, shit is cold, you don't need me to leave Word to God, it's nothing to let you be who you be I mean for real though, it's a fire sale in the stock 30 floors up, burnt the vibe, clear out the sky I had a view worth a mill, but views get for real And views you can kill when you ain't hit a buy there's a fire sale in the stock 30 floors up, burnt the vibe, clear out the sky I had a view worth a mill, but views get for real And views you can kill when you ain't hit a buy Please, Billy, don't let this happen to you 
Please Atlanta, don't let this happen to you Please DMV, don't let this happen to you Please LA, don't let this happen to you Please Detroit, don't let this happen to you Please Chicago, don't let this happen to you Please Texas, don't let this happen to you Please New Orleans, don't let this happen yeah. to you To whom it make concern, don't let this happen to you True to what you heard, they want this back like a loop They gave you a curve and kept you back on the stoop And now what they prefer is to help you pack when you move And an argument is made for calling out a blame Visions of a doorstep and all that it became And they ain't had a heart to stand on until today Smoke all clear and they just wanting to remain Funny ain't it, the bottom of the bag is what you make it Jump the line cause I ain't never seen money waiting Shit you ran from is what you trying to run away with And brownstones is look the salvation underrated So let's tag a dotted line if you care to survive And if not, pick a spot and just be here for the ride The aura of cold waters over Mary J. Blige My neighborhood to you life, but was you here when it died? Riddle me that, right? Cause if I sell in the sky, 30 floors up Burnt the vibe, clear out the sky I had a view worth a mill, but views Get for real and usually get killed when you ain't hit a five. Send this five selling the stock. Thirty floors up, burn the vibe, clear out the sky. I had a view worth a mill, but views get for real and usually get killed when you ain't hit a five. Please, Philly, don't let this happen to you. Please, Atlanta, don't let this happen to you. Please, DMV, don't let this happen to you. Please, LA, don't let this happen to you. Please, Detroit, don't let this happen to you. Please, Chicago, don't let this happen to you. Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, there are some very, very tense issues happening in the nation's capital. The issue of D.C. statehood has been looming across Congress for quite some time now. Uh, last year, uh, that would be 2020, the House did pass a bill called H.R. 51, but it stalled in the Senate when the Democrats did not have the majority. Well, they have the majority now by a very, very slim margin, and the issue of D.C. statehood continues to be a looming threat to democracy itself because statehood would grant so many uh, legislative advantages. It would help uh, the Democratic Party to enact their agenda. And overall, it's just good for the nation as a whole for people to be represented properly. So I have a former D.C. resident here. She's also a former Ohio resident out of Dayton. Y'all know this guest. She's an amazing uh, professional mental health counselor. She's in Southern California and she's got the funk, the go-go, the mental health and the residency to prove it. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Emily Wessel. Emily, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Rome. Good to see you. Good to hear you again. Absolutely. Well, you are, how long has it been since you've lived in D.C.? How many years have gone by? Or the DMV area, right? Now. Yeah, I've been on the West Coast now about four or five years almost. I came out here, um, I came out here actually in December of 2016, just before the inauguration of Trump. I was like, I'm out. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that wasn't a bad move. And the years you spent in the DMV was exactly how many? Uh, well, I moved there in about 1990. Uh, so I was a kid when my family moved. Oh, to, wow. we, we moved to Northern Virginia. So I spent a couple years there. And then when I was um, in college, I moved to DC and I spent a couple years in DC. And then I lived for a little while in Maryland as well. So we call it the DMV. It's, they're all very yes. close and people often live in many of the different areas. But yeah, I spent I spent at least 10 years in DC. Wow. Cause, oh, man, because I know, you know, we've had you on here speaking about Dayton, Ohio and everything. So you spent some time there. You spent some time in D.C. Now you're in California. So you have a pretty decent, you know, a basic understanding of what life is like there. 
Um, tell us about DC again. It's, it's larger than the state of Vermont is larger than the state of Wyoming in terms of populace. There's, there's more yeah. people living there. So, uh, what do you recall growing up there all those years or spending all those years there, what it was like politically and socially to be a DMV resident? You know, it's really interesting because I think that, but just growing up in that area, you know, as a kid, um, having, you know, parents and friends, parents that work in government, my, my folks didn't work in government specifically, but all my neighbors and my, my childhood friends, their, their parents all, you know, um, lived, lived and worked in DC and they, um, you know, you just have that influence of um, politics, right? So I started learning about politics as a kid. And I think even as a, a young adult working in restaurants and working in the music business in DC, I was always surrounded by customers and, and people and friends that were talking about political issues. So it's just sort of a it's a it's a thing there. It's a part of the culture there that you're um, that you have some understanding of what's going on in politics locally and um, on a more national level. Oh, absolutely. So it used to be referred to as Chocolate City because of the predominance of African American mm -hmm. um, population there. And now it's it's not that anymore. It's not considered Chocolate City. I mean, it's still obviously a lot of African Americans that live there, but they're not in the uh, numerical majority anymore as of a few years ago. So politically, you, you talk about that part of living in the DMV area. Uh, when you think about D.C. statehood and what it could mean to the people there as a former resident, what comes to mind for you? Oh, I mean, I think it's about rights, you know, I think, um, well, you know, I wasn't living in D.C. when um, the Capitol got stormed, but I still have a lot of friends and colleagues that live there and my, my dad's there and, and a lot of people mm. I worked with over the years. And so just in talking to them, you know, calling to check on people, how you doing? Your house is right down there by the Capitol. Like yeah. business is right there around the corner. You know, COVID was bad enough. Now you got, you know, the police in the streets and people, you know, running around, just running amok in, in the in the national city, right? In our federal city. And, mm. and uh, you know, the experience that I was hearing from the majority of the people that I talked to was, you know, we don't have any say, and this is our backyard, you know, we don't mm. have any say in this, like we can't do anything. And, um, and I think that's when it became really clear to me that this is something that um, this, this may be the only time period where this could actually pass because of all, all that's happened over the past few years, because I think people are getting to the point where they want to be able to have a say in what happens in their own backyard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now that came on the heels. I want to talk to you more about January 6th since you have people that are living there. I know a couple of people that are there, but even prior to that, remember that uh, photo op when the former president wanted to take that photo mm -hmm. and in order to do so, they tear gassed protesters in the area so he could hold that Bible in front of that church. I mean, that that was just one yeah. of those things. And and to, to, to be fair, you know, I, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. You know, I don't pick sides in that way. But to be fair, D.C. residents were frustrated with, uh, you know, somebody who I do support, Barack Obama, because mm -hmm. he they they had an issue that they were negotiating and he gave them some uh, a concession in the issue of abortion. So I, I'll have to look up that issue again. But the reason why he was able to do it was because of the issue of statehood. They don't have a representative in there fighting on behalf of their interests. Right. So, it is a problem. So when you spoke to your folks about January 6th, you know, and again, they came off the heels of tear gassing protests uh, for the photo op. Uh, mm -hmm. What is their sense of feeling safe there? And what is their sense that they definitely need to be staying engaged and involved in this issue so that they can indeed uh, increase the level of their voice and influence in the area of politics for this nation as representatives of D.C.? What have you heard about that? 
Well, you know, that's a complex question. You know, I, I, I think um, my experience is that the people that are residents of DC, like the true DC residents are, are different than the sort of transient residents that come in yes. for maybe a term of Congress, a term of uh, um, president, or a term of uh, academics, right? So maybe somebody's there for five or seven years because they have uh, an academic uh, job. So there's a lot of transient nature to the residency in DC, yes. but there's also a very strong heart of residence in DC and, and you know, business owners, people that, you know, live in their grandmother's house, and, you know, the, the houses have been passed down. So you have these generations of people that have lived there. And I just think that it's really interesting that there's all these arguments about whether or not the representation would be fair when you think about it is that the gen the, the representatives that are going to actually be voting are generally going to be people that have lived in DC for a really long time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. People like Eleanor uh, Norton Holmes. I mean, she's yeah a delegate there, but, you know, they, they can't vote. And so some, you know, part of this argument, argument that is, is that, well, people could just move to Maryland, I guess, in which then they could represent. So, you know, <laughs> why can't people just do that? I mean, they make it sound simple. Yeah, just pick up and move to Maryland or Virginia and you have representation, problem solved. But yeah. why does that not make sense to a DMV resident? I mean, well, if you talk, I, you know, I, I guess that's not really a fair question for me to answer because I've lived in all three. And so but oh. some people are very like their heart is like, I'm DC. I'm not Maryland. I'm not Virginia. I'm DC. And so those folks feel very prideful about like living in DC their whole lives. And, and they don't want to move somewhere else to be able to get their mm. voices heard, you know, and I respect that. I mean, um, I think the politics are very different in Virginia. It's, you know, uh, it tends to Northern Virginia itself is a bit more progressive because it's so close to DC, but the rest of the state is still the South in very many respects. Ooh. And then Maryland is also very different, right? So, so I don't, I don't think that people want to have to move somewhere else and and have a new, an identity that they didn't that isn't them. Yeah. Hmm. So January six comes, and again, uh, the mayor is Muriel Bowser. Mm -hmm. um, she tried to call for support when uh, the former guys protesters stormed the Capitol. Uh, a lot of them are going to jail now, hee hee. Um, I know. But <laughs> uh, part of the reason why they were able to, well, put it like this, part of the frustration for people like Mariel Bowser, the mayor of DC, she couldn't bring in the, the resources that she needed. She had no control over the police force. And so if they should happen to become an occupied territory, they don't have any say in that. Mm -hmm. And so if that is, I mean, can you imagine living in Southern California? I mean, not that we have say, I mean, they can declare martial law anywhere, right? Sure. I mean, that could be anywhere. But in DC in particular, they, I mean, they're voters, they pay taxes and they, they can't, I mean, they, they literally have no say. And the mayor is actually very important uh, political position across the country. I mean, the mayors are usually in charge of the police force in, right. in most states across the country. So. I don't know. I, I just think that when, when you think about the impact that it has to not have a voice and the fact that you talk about DMV and, you know, it's kind of like L.A. too, Emily, because mm -hmm. I used to live there. And it's like I tell people all the time, no, L.A. is real. You know, mm -hmm. it's the people that come there that mess it up for the people that have been there because. So, so true. Yeah, know, it's similar. It's similar back in the DMV. OK, so if it's similar, then you take you know, it's understandable that people would take issue with people who would just come there for transactional purposes and they don't really 
uh, represent a true reflection of the people. So you kind of broke down some of those differences, a DC native versus a Maryland native versus a Virginia native. And mm -hmm. so is there any way that there is unanimity in ideology, given that you have all these different factions there? You lived in all three and you kind of broke down what it's like in some of those areas. Uh, how hard do you think it is for unanimity to be achieved in terms of fighting for this particular issue? Well, I think that that's that's an interesting question too. I think that's part of why getting DC its own its own votes is so important because it is different, you know. And and they they shouldn't have to be unit. There shouldn't have to be unity. Yeah. Not that I don't agree with it, but right. there shouldn't have to be. They, sh you know, you can you can have a neighbor and not have a the same like tastes or beliefs or values, and that doesn't mean that you don't have the right to do what you want to do in your own home, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, I, I think it's really important that um, we also, I mean, you know, DC also, you know, they can vote in the presidential election. I mean, that happened, oh. I think, in the 50s or 60s. I'm not sure exactly. But, mm -hmm. you know, there was a time where they argued that the people in DC shouldn't be able to vote for the president. Exactly. And then that that got passed. So yeah. how is this really any different, you know? Right. Um, and, I, and I know there's a lot of arguments about it's not the, you know, it's not a large enough space. Anybody who's been to DC, it's, it's big. It's, you know, it's not, it's not a small city. It's got a lot mm -hmm. of people in it and a lot of different neighborhoods, you mm -hmm. know, and I just think having its own voice is important. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I hate to go there, but I am. And you're, you're comfortable talking about these issues. So I'm gonna talk about it with you. Wyoming and Vermont, both of those territories or states have senators. Yes, and, and smaller populations than DC. Yes, DC has 700,000 residents, which is more than Wyoming, where Liz Cheney is from, the, the former, <laughs> yeah. the former uh, Republican uh, leadership chair. She was number three before she got kicked out. Oh my God, um, she didn't lose her place in the house, ladies and gentlemen, but they stripped her of her leadership. And so the reason why that's important is because she's responsible. She was anyway. She was responsible for the communication and the strategy to go against Democrats because right. everything in leadership is about messaging. And if she's not aligned with McCarthy and uh, what's the other one, Scalise, um, <laughs> they felt that they wanted somebody that was more loyal to Trump. So uh, okay, so I'm, I'm asking too many complex questions, but let me come back to where I was going. Uh, the race component. Um, people feel like they don't want this because it would empower too many uh, people of color and black people in particular. Uh, given what you've done in your family, you know, coming from a family of abolitionists, uh, can you speak a little bit to why that issue is so vexing to someone with your background who has a family legacy generationally of fighting against these issues and on behalf of African, African Americans? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, thank you. I, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really passionate about equal rights with all people, you know, and it just so happens that my family has been, you know, working for that for a really long time. And so I was raised with that mentality. And, and this is just another picture of, that not happening right so dc i think is for the first time ever it's not predominantly black but it has been for almost its entire at least as long as, as many generations as we can remember right so mm -hmm. it's it's not really fair to consider this not a conversation about race right because if you're mm -hmm. saying well we don't want there to be representation in dc and dc is primarily black even if it isn't at this date it has been for a really long time then that's really the conversation we're having so you're telling us you you know if you argue against this you have to sort of cop to the fact that you're arguing against 
um, a black vote or a predominantly black vote. And, and it's not just any black vote. I mean, think about it, Howard University is there. We mm. have all kinds of um, sort of associations, academia, you know, um, government officials. I mean, we're talking about like a, you know, a pretty educated population. You know, that's not to say that there, there are some problems in education in DC. And of course, every neighborhood is gonna be different, but there are a lot of incredibly um, educated and then politically savvy because just the nature of growing up in that area, you you know about politics. You may not be like a expert on it. Like I certainly am not an expert on it, but just waiting tables, I would learn things and I would meet people. Mm -hmm. So so you have to think about a population that's got some, you know, some political savvy, um, you know, education, uh, mm -hmm. representation in, you know, in government, you know, um, Eleanor Holmes Norton, Muriel Bowser, you know, go back to Marion Barry. I mean, think about it. There's just such a African-American component to this city. And you're gonna tell us that we we don't want those people voting. So what are you actually saying, right? <laughs> yeah, what are you trying to say? I mean, it's the same thing with, there's voter fraud in Detroit. There's voter fraud right. in Fulton County down in Atlanta. Yeah, exactly. There's voter fraud in Milwaukee. What do all those three places have in common? Gee, I wonder what that is. Uh, this is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're talking to our good sister, Emily Wessel, a uh, mental health counselor in California, but a former resident of the DMV. And we're talking about DC statehood, politics, and the like. Uh, there's so much to dive in there. So I'm just wondering, I mean, I'm listening to you, Emily, and I'm, you know, you've been on the show multiple times before, and we were talking about things leading up to the election. And since that time, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are in office now. And I haven't spoken to you since the, they've been in office. And Liz Cheney, like we were just saying, she's been ousted because she wasn't willing to play the game, you know, that, you know, Trump was cheated out of the last election. And they're still fighting this fight to make sure that Trumpism lives on. So in the wake of that reality in the world of Republicans and the fact that Joe and Kamala are now in, I'm just wondering, just generally, from a mental health standpoint, how do you feel now compared to when you were last on the show? Uh, the D.C. statehood thing would add some, uh, you know, again, delegates. And, you know, Puerto Rico is going to go through this fight, too, because they're fighting for statehood as well. But just generally speaking, Emily, how are you feeling now that you and Kamala are in office? Um, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited that we have representation as a female. You know, I think that at the end oh, of the yeah. day, you know, I mean, I can talk about all the nuances of that and and I have certain opinions about different things, but I mean, at the end of the day, like there's a woman of color in a high seat of government and that has never happened in our history. And so I look at that and I look at my niece and my friend's kids and I can actually say, look, you actually can do that job because someone mm. is paving the way. And I do really like her attitude about it. You know, when she talks about her mom, you know, saying, you know, um, don't, you know, you may be the first, but don't be the last. I really love that quote of hers because, you know, regardless of whether you agree with her politics, she's paving the way for women to be able to be in a high seat of government. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just your general mood now that, um, you know, it seems like we, we're still fighting those fights of uh, Trump Trumpism, you know, the, the the remnants of that and the fact that we're, we're going to have these fights again, Emily, come 2022 midterm elections. And it, it feels that though we sort of won that scrap, you know, the, the larger war still persists and that we know we're not going to win every single election. And, you know, and that's why they're fighting so hard for and against D.C. statehood, because the reality is they can't win a fair fight. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, that's the evidence says, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if people vote their numbers, 
on both sides of the electorate, no matter what side you're on, and provided that they don't suppress votes by passing all these voter restriction laws like they're doing. Uh, and that's another reason why they're arguing for DC statehood, because, you know, with a proper majority, and if you get rid of the filibuster, uh, you can actually pass uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act so that all these states that are trying to suppress the votes uh, by people of color, they wouldn't be able to get away with it because it would be it would be law. It would be federal law. And so given that we're going to continue to have these fights, um, are, are, how up for this fight are you? I mean, just remembering how draining it was to to know that uh, Hillary didn't win in 2016 and we had to endure four years of that guy. Yeah. Um, and knowing that the, the, the remnants, the vestiges of Trumpism still remain heading into 22 and it's those same things that kicked Liz Cheney out of leadership. Um, how geared up for you and how engaged do you remain in, to and you know to connected to the reality that we're going to be fighting for a long time um how do you feel about that the fights seem like they just never end i mean i don't know i guess because i was raised by you know several generations of people that have been fighting this these issues at different levels mm -hmm. i don't you know i i laugh because i'm like when did we when when, when were we not fighting like did sure. people have the luxury of not fighting about this at some point because everybody in my life has always been part of this struggle mm. um and that's you know friends family partners you know business associates whether you know i mean anybody who's paying attention has been having this fight at some level the whole time they've been alive because this has been an issue as far back as as we can really draw our family lines so i don't really you know maybe it's more nuanced maybe it's more political now maybe it's more about money but the, at the bottom line is that we don't have equal rights in our country and we have a lot of money we're one of the richest we're one of the richest countries in the world and we like can't take care of our people i mean there's just something wrong fundamentally there's something wrong and it always has been so yeah. i don't really have to gear up for a fight because i've you know i mean i i take time to rest and reflect but I think that anybody who's paying attention has, has always been part of the fight. Mm. Oh, so true. And given the social justice advocate that you are, I mean, you've been a warrior yourself. I mean, you have personally uh, gotten involved in these fights. It's not just uh, a part of your family tree. I mean, you actually care about these issues, right? I mean, you're out there battling and trying to advocate on behalf of what's right for those that are disenfranchised and voiceless, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we all have to pick our battles. And, you know, I was taught to find my strengths and and to work in those areas, right? Because we can't, you can't be everything to everybody. And so the people in my family have all kind of had different like levels of fight, right? My sister's in healthcare and I, I work in mental health and the arts. And, you know, I think we find the places where, um, where we can make a difference. And so, yeah, maybe I'm doing that on a more personal level with one-on-one -on -one clients or with families. Um, and, but I certainly get involved with community issues when it's appropriate, when I can be of service. Absolutely. Has the tone changed in your, with your clients? I mean, has there been any uh, evidence that the, the political realities of our society have impacted your therapy sessions with clients? And if so, in what way? Yeah, I mean, I think people are a little bit more aware of issues. I'm noticing that with the Black Lives Matter movement and things with the pandemic, you know, people that are not normally aware of race issues are becoming a little bit more aware. And I find it interesting because some of these some of these things, these awareness, the awareness of my clients was was greater in the DC area because I think the nature of that area is people are a little bit more politically um, in tune just because you live there, right? So it's it's part mm -hmm. of the conversation that's being had in many circles. And um, I noticed in California that um, it wasn't as popular to talk about things like this until now. 
and now because mm -hmm. of everything that's happened with this last year with uh, 45 and with Black Lives Matter and the pandemic, I mean, it's really hard to not be a part of the conversation. You have to work, you actually have to work hard to not be a part of the conversation now. So I think it's impacted my therapy sessions in that people that wouldn't normally be having this conversation are now um, affected by it or at least talking about it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, before we let you go, any particular strain that impacts women uh, uh, more so or in a particular way uh, during these times of uh, a constant battle? Uh, that's part one. And then part two, how about the AAPI community? Uh, in what ways um, have you experienced some of their angst and uh, how these issues are playing out in those communities? Um, let's see. So I think, well, for, you know, I guess I'll just, I want to, I want to say one thing about the DC, um, statehood conversation that I think is really important. And there's, there's a financial component because my, my undergrads in economics and that's my, you know, I kind of think about economic theory. So when I, when I approach big questions, like a population of, um, you know, uh, AAPI or women, I think, you know, I think about the financial, like, where's the money going, right? And so the communities that are getting the, the financial support from some of the COVID relief or the bills, like, is that impacting those community, one community more than another? So that's often where I start when I'm trying to like, kind of wrap my head around like a really complex issue there that you know uh, an issue that kind of affects an entire population and um and one of the things that's really interesting about the conversation with dc getting statehood is that as it stands right now because it's a federal city the dc did not get as much money in the pandemic relief as the states did mm. i mean we're talking like millions of difference millions of dollars in difference so i don't know the exact numbers but i know that was one of the conversations that i was having with colleagues back there and and that impacts services right so if uh the states are getting a certain amount of money to to provide services during uh you know to a, uh, combat uh gender equality uh inequality to combat you know hate crimes to combat um yes. any kind of services right so whether you're talking about females or a race population or a religious whatever it is the money provides services. Mm. And if the service, if there's less money, there's less services. And so I don't think it's fair that DC is, has a larger population than two of our states and they got millions of dollars less in funding for services mm. during a global pandemic. And so at the end of the day, I mean, I can argue back and forth with people about whether it's fair, whether it's right about, you know, Democrat, Republican, all that, but it really doesn't matter because it's about, it's really about money and services, right? And so mm. it's just not fair that there's that many people in our country that are not getting services. Wow. Wow, when you look at it like that, it it's, it sounds and feels really cruel, and mm -hmm. and and especially when you look at the, the you know the economics. Thank you for bringing that into it too, because I hadn't thought of it from that angle. Uh, there has been systemic economic uh, disenfranchisement, yes. you know, throughout this nation's very founding, and then you you couple that with some of the the gender battles and the racial components. Uh, it, it it's a political hot mess. And so um, I appreciate you bringing that up. I knew, see, you, I, I do ask you tough questions, Emily, but you just <laughs> like, you stand at that plate and you swing at those pitches and you just knock it out of the park. <laughs> I'm just glad that I'm not on the other side of some of these questions because the questions I ask, I'm like, what are you saying? Where are you, are you going somewhere with this? But you handle it so smooth. You're a smooth operator. Emily Wessel, I can't thank you enough for being here. You are 
uh, a Californian resident now, but you are definitely a sister and daughter of the DMV. And uh, I can tell you still care about these issues. So thank you so much. You know you're always welcome here anytime you like. Will you join us again sometime on Psychotic Bump School, Emily Wessel? Oh, of course. Anytime. I love talking with you. And I, I appreciate that you're talking about some real stuff on this show. So anytime I can be of service, I'm happy to be here. Oh, you always do a great job. Thank you, Emily. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That was a mental health counselor out of California, Emily Wessel. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back, y'all. Yeah, this is Jeff Kelly from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM. And you're listening to the Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, the truth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, power to the people. If I got the power, you got the power. We got the power. That's power to the people. And right now, the power is right here. And you're listening to my man, DJ Rome, on the Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. They've been hating since Benjamin Banneker, the first DC artist to let you know you can't handle us. Huh. Taught you how to see without cameras Created DC, yet y'all worshiping scandalous Taught you to hate the smart black man Accused him of acting white, not a dark black man Pitching that color versus the brain So that any black man who thinks for himself's insane I laugh when artists complain about DC I'm out here fighting for niggas screaming in Fiji Y'all trying to impress some dudes in PG Or whether it's your mommy or your granddaddy in Southeast Y'all brothers better pace up. pace up Ain't but so much space They gon' let y'all niggas take up They legalize trees Why they getting all caked up Eyes wide open Y'all brothers need to wake up uh-huh. Yeah, y'all living that dream not Dr. Kings, but the dream of supremacy You're not concerned with your future or history You love vanity more than your families Yeah, y'all living that dream huh. Charged up over niggas from places y'all ain't never seen Don't know how to read, but know how to ping Auto-correct, auto-tune, and auto-sing Y'all offended by flags and words like fag But got the nerve to walk around wearing redskin swag My God, I'm calling on you like a dad Let me be your beacon or a fountain to the path So many crooked cops, politicians, who the real thugs? Pharmaceuticals and serving all the real drugs Hitting this Mary J, looking for a real love Eyes wide open so you can really feel love they turn the corridors into condos, very farms in the bank rolls and whole foods. And they've been plotting since the Reagan era. It's like the folk don't matter. We pay these taxes and we hope for better. These youngers smoking boat and going mad. They screaming gang gang gang. They kill with no remorse. What a pity. Mad City, no dreams, dreams. triple beans, popping pills, pills, triple lean. This is like Co-Train and Marvin, Malcolm and Martin, bellies are aching, people are starving, some nine to five it, some people robbing, some freedom fighting, protesting mobbing. Hey, you better call for a call of action before they come to your crib blasting. I swear they ain't acting, cause I seen it from D.C., Paris to London, B-Ball, all the way to South Africa, I've seen it. 
found out about the artist part but i already knew about the other part i mean his artistry is savage uh he's also an mc a writer singer uh probably a musician too the brother does it all so ladies and gentlemen i'm proud to welcome for the very first time the psychotic bump school the good brother mr wes felton mr felton are you yeah. there peace peace what's happening happening what's happening world it's happy oh. to, i'm happy to be here you know oh man you are killing it out there how's it going out there on uh dc Oh man, it's cool. You know, we it's been like oddly uh colder than normal during this time of year up out here, but you know, we we we're pushing through. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And when it's cold out there, you know, I'm out here on the West Coast. So what what's considered cold for by DC? Well, well, like well, it's been cold for this time of year. So like right now it has not been kind of like the last week it's been it hasn't been going above 60 really you know what oh, i mean oh okay. okay yeah so so yeah. normally it would be a little warmer during this time of year but you know absolutely absolutely well yeah. welcome aboard good brother uh i was telling you a little bit off the air that we uh overlap with some of the same people kim hill is our people's man uh yeah. good sister man good sister and uh, another queen of the show that comes on uh, quite a bit. Uh, Cy Smith, a former collaborator of yours, you know that good sister. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cy Smith is like my, uh, like, I guess like, she's like, you know how Marvin Gaye had his, uh, Tammy Terrell kind of situation. Yes. Like Cy, Cy Smith is like that for me. Like she's, she, she and I have, uh, quite a couple of songs together and also just, you know, there's moments in our lives where as artists, we've been able to kind of you know, inspire each other at different points, you know, maybe when we might have been kind of in a in a, a, a stagnant point or period in, in creatively, you know? Yes. When I listen to Wes Felton, I'm getting all of that and I'm getting some dope MC lyrics too over some fly beats. So when you think right. about all of that underground, independent, soulful vocals, layered vocals, harmonies, background vocals, and just storytelling, Good brother, what comes to mind? Well, um, how do you I define it? You say, how do I define it? I I would say, for me, underground, for me, has to start from our first introduction to that term, mm. and it comes from the underground railroad. Oh, come on now. Okay, that was the first time. Yes. That term was something that as it related to us as mm -hmm. black folk. Of course, the word underground, we knew underground, mm -hmm. literally. Mm -hmm. But in terms of it being used in a way that's like, you know, you know, a, a double entendre or, or some type of metaphor, it was that way. And mm -hmm. the thing about the Underground Railroad is it, it 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 caused you it causes you to have to really embrace every part of you mm. the mind the body and the soul mm. um 
So with that said, that means that maybe some of them songs that they're they're humming or they singing in that track in the Underground Railroad, maybe some of them are, are going to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more grime here. Not going to be as pretty as some of the ones they're singing in the churches on the plantations. Because mm. these are a little, because there's messages hidden in them. That's right. So, so, so you're talking about something that's a little bit more, um, you know, really with the earth. Mm. You're talking about songs that that is that 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 come from people who 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 slowly walked through 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 water with poisonous snakes swimming through it, and oh survived to be able to tell that story. That's right. And so, the underground for me is still that. It still means you, 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 what you create comes from the, 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 the rooms where the voiceless, uh, that don't have voices where you, 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 you're that person or that artist or that, um, designer or that, um, you know, uh, disc jockey uh, who mm -hmm. who basically still represents that where it's like every time you share something mm -hmm. it's it can free somebody mm. come on and so sometimes it takes the underground as a passageway to get those messages still and the in in the free people wow um, you know people may not admit it but Again, just like just like the other, you, you got you you got you got people hunting people mm -hmm. that's in the underground. Mm -hmm. You got people who still still who still ideas, still concepts, still take yes. people's things, you know. And mm -hmm. so it, it it the underground for me is very much the underground railroad. <laughs> um and that's 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 what that's what underground uh that means to me and yeah you know it's not a it, it, it you know not there's not it's not limited to only a handful of genre mm -hmm. it's 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 more about experiences and the various voices of expression that um you know that 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 that, that expresses those you know, perspectives um, yeah. of the of the people who dwell in the underground. All right. Can you talk to me about so, vocals a little bit? Because you, you use your voice in a multitude yeah. of ways. And so you've collaborated with people like Omar, like you said, over in the okay. Yeah. Everybody out here in the underground loves Omar. All right. Yeah. <laughs> everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody. Of course, you've collaborated with Raheem Devon. But you yeah. use vocals in a way that's really layered, man. It's like there's to me. My, I mean, my father was a doo-wop singer. So right. he, he comes from harmony, you know, multi-part harmony. And so yeah. that's why when I hear it, it hits me a certain kind of way. And, you know, just thinking about the, the, the modern day contemporary neo-soul artists like Eric Roberson, uh, mm -hmm. like Raheem, you know, these cats come at it with a, a really healthy homage to the cats that came before them, like Marvin and mm -hmm. Curtis, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And to a certain extent, those haunting gospel creepy vocals of parliament funkadelic when them yeah. cats are harmonizing man it it just hits you man so mm -hmm. how do you approach vocals in the west felton sound well for me you know i always kind of like 
because um i'm very much kind of like lyric driven mm -hmm. i um I, I i tend to it's funny you say like a doo-wop like okay of course like most people i grew up in the church mm -hmm. i was raised in the church I, you know either a preacher or an artist is basically the two professions that the men in my family for for centuries <laughs> that's what they did right mm -hmm. it was one or the other yeah. um and so i uh so naturally i i sung in the choir as a young boy that was my first experience to you know not be you know stage shy but then you know i tap dance when i was a little kid you mm. know in kindergarten so you know i did recitals and and so my introduction to um music and vocally it came in that form that that traditional structure of uh soprano alto tenor mm -hmm. come on and so for me i you know a lot of people focus on more of the uh you know the the melisma and the you know the runs and all those things that everyone does you know the in theater we call that stuff kind of like the spectacle okay. aspect of of stuff of stage so it's the stuff that people do to embellish and you know enhance it's almost like you know a magic a magician in the sleight of hand so mm -hmm. that stuff is wonderful and, and that's why you have those artists for that but for me I, I, I my approach is strictly going like as if like uh, I'm hey yo brother come here come here man what, let me hear your voice real quick you okay you kind of got it okay here here you go <laughs> do this right here do 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 okay you do that right there okay cool oh, hey, hey sister come here come here look come here let me let me do what you doing right you got five minutes can you just do you, you, you understand what I mean where it's literally like yeah I that's my approach and so when I wow. sing I think of myself like a gathering people so a lot of times people strive for like when they when they like for example like in the recording process if they double a certain part they're going for exact mm. like they're attempt they're attempting to get it exactly that way so that way it sounds layered that way you know the way marvin Gaye does it and, you know raheem devon that's my brother and anybody that ever works with Raheem, they'll tell you like Raheem will burn up your tracks. Mm. Like he's going, he's going to give you layers. He's going to give you harmonies. He's going to give you all of that. Whereas for me, I my approach is trying to again be like the messenger, mm. to be that griot, to mm -hmm. be almost like that that Christ who says to people like, hey, come here, let's take a knee. Mm. And who knows? Can can you hum? All right. Okay, that's all I need. Hum right here, you know. And so mm. that's that that's really my approach. And then as a lead vocalist, I I I definitely I I like to mention Omar because Omar is one of the few people who I know who he sings the way he talks. <laughs> you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. Whereas most where most male vocalists, they kind of alter their voices. Mm. So maybe like, you know, maybe like, you know, uh, Maxwell might 
talk, you know, depending on, you know, when you meet him or what's going on, he might, he might be there. Right. Mm-hmm. But when he sings, he's in a, you know, na, 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 you know what I'm saying? Yep. And so, so he doesn't talk like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's very rare that you uh, have vocalists, male vocalists who one have the confidence to trust their vocal like rank like where they are vocally who they mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. um but then also it's very um it's very hard to find people and audience members who are open to that mm. because we've been again conditioned to define you know, the best vocalist based on how high he can sing at some point, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, how, how many runs or things that he could do, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, that's black folks. I think we're the only people who really kind of force ourselves to have that kind of pressure and limitation Mm -hmm. on our vocals. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so the music that we create, you know, it started with the blues. It started with these 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 moanings, these mm-hmm. these forms of expression that, you know, that that had nothing to do with the the styles that you know that come along as we evolve. So interesting. Uh, so 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 I I actually like I prefer that approach. So mm. rather than me you know, altering my voice for an mm-hmm. entire song or singing some high range. I prefer to meet, meet, meet people where I am. Oh, wow. I was not expecting you to say that. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. Uh, we're in class tonight, y'all. This is the good brother, Wes Felton out of DC, MC, poet, griot, uh, misanthrope, uh, the brother does it all. Um, he, he, amazing cat, man. Man, I was not expecting you to hit us like that because when I listen to your music, you know, it definitely comes through. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the sister uh, Stephanie Spruill, uh, famous mm. background vocalist with Luther Vandross and Aretha Franklin. And she actually, uh, when we talked to her a few months ago when Aretha transitioned, mm. she was talking about how Aretha was like a one-take artist, meaning she yeah. would come in the studio eat her hot dog and she'd be ready to go because she yeah. would always come to the studio prepared and ready. And it wasn't about giving you a million takes, you know, because yeah. you said Raheem would burn you down with all these layers and extra inflection oh, yeah. and, yeah. you know, ad libs or whatnot. Whereas she said about Aretha is like, it was one take Aretha. She was such a pro yeah. and she just knew what she wanted and she, she laid it down on the first go round. And so, I'm wondering, you know, you, you talk about black folks, you know, we come from the blues, like you said, but you also said black artists maybe are the only ones who really put that amount of pressure on themselves to get the vocals so right, you know? And so could that speak to why black music is so good, why it's so often emulated, but rarely imitated properly unless it's done by us who come and are closer to the source of it? Because when I listen to y'all, man, it's like, I'm, I'm D'Angelo is another one. The way he yes. puts, you know, intricacies on the vocals, you know, straight out of yeah. Prince, straight out of Prince, straight out of Stevie Wonder, you know. Uh, tell us about this latest album, man. Uh, what is the Eternal Equinox all about, good brother? So the Eternal Equinox is a uh, project. I, I would say it's almost like my like version of like 
Q's juke joint. So oh. in like Quincy Jones, like Fair. you remember back in the day when he put did that project where he was like, yeah. you know, he, where many many artists of his generation maybe weren't embracing like hip hop mm -hmm. or or certain contemporary R and B and stuff, and how he just went there with it, you know. Yeah. And so what I wanted to do was make a project like that um that had artists that i not just from this area but I, you know you mentioned larne like larne to me is uh, another one of those like dope like incredible like brilliant vocalists and artists mm -hmm. like you know and unfortunately because of the way the industry is it it sometimes can make artists feel like they they have to wait for permission to create mm. if it's not a certain situation or if it's not a certain scenario. And mm. so Larnay was one of those people who like I always respected and I always I was a fan of like her work. And I was spent some time in L.A. Um, recently. And she and I had collaborated before, but the rec we never put the song out. And I was like, you know what? I was like this, I was plotting. I was like, all right, I'm, this time when I come to LA, I'm gonna record with her and I'm gonna make sure that we put the records out. I'm, I'm gonna put the music mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I got her on there. And for me, she's kind of like me having like the, you know, Ella Fitzgerald on my record. If this was like Q's Juke Joint. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I got the, I, I she's the legend on there, right? You are the one I want. You want me to? I see what you've been searching for. You are the one I want. You want me to? I see what you've been searching for. Go, um. A guy named Blake Holmes, who I'm such a big fan of, like he's such a dope MC. Mm. Um, and he's a young brother, you know, who's who's who, you know, who again, who's who who wants to learn and wants to, you know, who who wants to do the process. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, and doesn't necessarily want to just be fame, famous, or chase the, you know, do this this social media. Um, thing. Keep on growing. If you order me, I will grow. Keep on growing. If you order me, I will grow. And so that's what that project is about. Um, Kenilworth Katrina is a one of my favorite MCs right now. She's a young lady that's a dope MC, but she's not just a dope MC, but she's an electric. She's she just she's an electrician, like she's like a master electrician or something. You know what I'm saying? Really? What do you mean? Meaning like she's like she whatever certification to be like a master electrician, like whatever that means. That she mm -hmm. she just recently got that title. 
Wow. So I, I saw I, I saw a little commercial about it. <laughs> Say her name again. I want to make sure we get it right. Her name is Kenilworth. Kenilworth Katrina. Very talented sister. Very, very dope. Very dope. All you can, a true man is measured by his works. Dr. King, that's a true sign. Grew up in the church, good kid, a student. Never in the streets, heard his mama homeschooled him. All the grown folk knew him from his smile and the way he talked. Good hearted, little proud nigga from New York. Came to the city, got lost in a life of crime. Gun down, wrong place at the wrong time. My drive. Tried to tiptoe on the moon, clipped her angel wings. Nigga, say a prayer for me. You were like you you came across a frequency that like just happened to be like you know the planet earth and so i have um a very talented actor named demetrius gross who um you know he was recently in um uh lovecraft country and mm. uh, uh fear of the walking dead like he's you know he's a, he's, he's a brother but he's also a dc native Mm -hmm. and a good friend of mine. So I had him do these little interesting monologues, but in different voices, representing different populations of this country. Once again, the situation in America has reached a boiling point. What we're dealing with today is a situation where capitalism has morphed itself into anarchy, and anarchy has morphed itself into ignorance. And when you have that concoction and that combination, there's only one thing that can happen. Combustion. You son of a guns out here carrying AR-15s, M16s, 9mm rounds. You guys don't even know how to hold a gun. And you want to talk to me about being a gangster? i tell you about being a gangster. A gangster somebody that does the wrong things for the right reasons. You sons of bitches are doing the right things for the wrong reasons, but you're doing the wrong reasons with the right things. We're talking about negus and negas. That's N-E-G-A-S, which means queen. queen, queen, queen. Negus means king. Like mm -hmm. So, you know, like a real mashup. So Absolutely. Eternal Equinox is like a fusion project for me. Yeah. Uh, Raheem and I, we, you know, before COVID happened, we were we had been touring basically nonstop for like three years straight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we were doing, we were on the crossroads tour. And then I, off of that, I, Raheem took me on the road with him to, for his solo tour, um, where I ended up doing um, supporting vocals and as well as painting live on stage while we were doing, while doing the supporting vocals. <laughs> so wow. we, who, we, you know, we we had just gotten back from a European leg of that of a tour, right after, um, right when COVID hit and shut everything down. So, so that must have been um, after uh, the the footprints on the moon album from twenty seventeen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or crossroads. Yeah. Now, how do you spell crossroads? So we spell crossroads C R O S S R H O D E E S. So. It's crossroads like um, a Rhodes Scholar or like the Rhodes Piano. Both Raheem, Devon, and uh, Wes Felton, you know, you, you two cats seem unapologetically independent with your music. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you're not waiting for the machine to give you permission to do you. And that's what I love about, you know, what you cats are doing and what you're putting together. Your collaborations are amazing. Your solo work is amazing. I got your entire discography, my brother. 
Uh-huh. And, uh, appreciate that. It's, it's, you know, I'm a fan, man, you know, through and through. Uh, what's next for uh, Wes Felton um, in the D.C., DMV area, across the country, across the world? Good brother. What's next for you? Uh, yeah, pretty much, uh, you know, again, um, you mentioned, you know, I'm a visual artist as well. So, yes, um, during the pandemic, you know, that kind of got revealed um, because people, I guess, you know, they were, they were sitting still enough to where they kept, they were caught up. And before I knew it, people started buying my paintings and uh, wow. that's become a, um, you know, a, another uh, career <laughs> currently. Mm. Uh, so wow. I'm currently working on a, uh, uh, an exhibit that's coming up um, in June at a record store here in DC. Uh, where I'm doing a, a, a series that's called uh, The Jazz Jedi, where I'm uh, doing wow. these pieces that pay homage to different um, jazz artists. The Eternal Equinox, where's the best place for people to check you out? Where can they find this? Where can they follow hey, you? Hey, man, that's, that, that project is everywhere on all your favorite digital platforms, but I encourage people to, um, if they really, if they want to support, to check out my Bandcamp page, uh, West Felton. Um, dot bandcamp.com well that's our show y'all psychotic bump school is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and you know we're here every monday evening from 5 30 p.m to 7 p.m pacific time check back with us we shall return next week also want to thank our very special guest for the evening mental health counselor emily wessel life coach and author and educator tamika michelle and of course the good brother mc poet writer, one half of the crossroads, the good brother, Wes Felton. Also want to send a very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care. gonna be real cool right so we're gonna say it like this together say if i got the power and you got the power we got the power that's power to the people say i got the power and you got the power we got the power yeah that's power to the people say i got the power you got the power we got the power yeah that's power to the people hey i got the power you got the power thank you very much god bless y'all give yourselves a round of applause